I have no intention whatsoever of spending the whole next year in Genesis chapter 1. It may seem that way, but we are actually going to advance this morning and continue on because it was indeed a busy week. In fact, as I like to start by reading, starting in Genesis chapter 1, verse 20, if you would like to follow along, please. Then God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. And God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarmed after their kind, and every winged bird after its kind. And God saw it was good. And God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, a fifth day." If you look, and uh, this should not come as a surprise to you, at the very beginning of verse 20 it says, And then God said, and that always just amazes me. God said it, and there it was. And I'm trying to think of how do you express something that is that God-centered in a normal way that we can kind of catch it. Remember, the world around you, Probably your secular education and the TV and the radio and your friends are all saying, oh, this is millions and billions of years type stuff. But the Bible says something very, very different. It says God said it and there it was. I've been thinking about how to illustrate that. Now, I don't want to get too many illustrations this direction. But I got an illustration yesterday. It is not a perfect illustration, but maybe it will help you to catch what it is saying here. Faye and I are working on an apartment. We have to move a refrigerator. The floor is still needing clean. So I get the soap out, I clean the floor, and it's time for me to leave, and I need to get the refrigerator in. I don't let the floor dry. You might see where this is going. I go to pull the refrigerator in, I get it right to the step, and I have both of my feet on the wet floor, and as I start to pull, I'm telling you, I don't remember falling But I do remember fall in because I just hit that floor so quick that the next thing I know is I'm on the floor and the refrigerator is laying there. And uh, obviously my feet went everywhere. Right now, I can tell you at 62 years old, I've got a little pain across my back, a little pain across. You know what? Truth of the matter is it happened so fast, I didn't even know it happened. Now, here's what I want to tell you. God does it even faster than that. He says that it's there. I don't understand that. But humanly speaking, that's about as close as I can get to an illustration. It, God said it, it's done. And how do you know it's going on? Because you see the end result. How do I know I fell? Because I don't remember falling. But I do remember being on the floor. And the refrigerator, I hear the fridge hit the floor. By the way, I'm laying there. My wife is over there. She says, did you bend the refrigerator? She says she asked about me. I'm not sure if she did, but uh, that's what she said. I don't know. Anyway, it didn't bend the refrigerator, by the way. But uh, nonetheless, and then I made her help me put it in. So I got it in eventually. But you know what? God said it. There it was. It is totally the opposite of most of what we are taught in this world. I've, in, I've entitled day five, the animals of the finny and feathery kinds, because that's exactly what it said. And there's something very interesting. Not only did it happen quick, but also it happened vast, large 
quantities. The word swarm means a large quantity. What God did not do, as evolution would teach you, is that there was one fish or one bird. And then after... No. When God created them, there were lots of them. Swarms of fish. Schools of fish, we would call them today. But they were there. And notice it wasn't just one kind of fish, and then that fish evolved into all kinds of other kinds of fish. It says, after their kind. We'll get back to that in a moment. We talked about that last week. But the point is that all of those, every, in fact, as it says, every living creature that moves with which the water swarmed after their kind. So there were lots of fish and lots of those fish all created that quick. That's how God did it. Did he have to do it that way? Nope. Could have done it any way he chose. But that's what he chose to do. And that is what is recorded for us. And uh, then he says to them, you know what? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and then also multiply for the birds on the earth. It's kind of interesting we think birds in the sky, but let's face it, no bird hatches its young in the sky. It's always down based on something. If you weren't here last week, this is just a very quick review. The word kind is the equivalent to species in our scientific knowledge of today. Simply is this. It's the biological classification of species. By and large, and this is a simplification, but it fits, is that it's identified visually. And we looked at how we know that biblically because it's spelled out in the Bible. And they can interbreed and reproduce successfully. There are some animals that could reproduce outside of their exact species, but never their, never beyond that. In fact, is if you look at something, and this kind of does work, is that it just takes the kingdom like animals and then keep, keeps uh, boiling it down to you have a specific species, in this case a polar bear, you know, as opposed to a black bear, uh, that kind of thing. But the truth of the matter is, there are animals outside of their own species that can interbreed. For example, a donkey and a mule. You get, I mean, a donkey and a horse and you get a mule. But that's a dead end, just like lions and tigers can interbreed if the artif- artificially done so. And so it's a species, a small gene pool protected by a reproductive barrier. We went over that, probably spent 15 minutes last time, so I'm not going to go over. Here's all I'm saying is there were all kinds of fish, all kinds of birds, and lots of them all at one time. And then we get to the sixth day, where it says that animals of the hairy, furry, and creepy kind. Now, some of you would just as soon God didn't put that last one in there. We like the hairy and the furry ones, you know, your dogs and cats and those kinds of things. But those creepy kinds, uh, this morning we were simply talking about earwigs and stink bugs before church. Now, I don't know how we ever got on that, but most people would go, God made a mistake. But just remember, before sin, these creepy crawlers weren't what we see today and neither was anything else. Because sin has affected everything. And indeed it has But in the beginning, the first part of the sixth day, God created them. Notice in verse 24. Then God said, same thing I said a few moments ago, let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth after their kind, and it was so. 
And then it goes on in verse 25 to even elaborate on that. The beasts of the earth after their kind, the cattle after their kind, the creeping things after their kind. And God saw it was good. Again, same thing I talked about fish, same thing I talked about birds, is exactly what we're talking about here. They produced, I mean, God created various kinds of animals. And they produce after their own kind. It's very limited in how far that goes. You might say, well, we have hybrids today. The answer is yes, we do. But that is animals or plants within a species that are interbred to exemplify some of the characteristics. Nothing is ever added, but things are taken away. And you just take the good out of one and try to to breed it out of the other ones. Anyway, that's a whole different thing that we're not talking about today. But those things happen. Nobody is doubting that. Biblically, no problem. You know, there are mules in the Bible. So we already know in biblical times, they knew about mules. They knew that. But they also knew mules don't produce mules. It's just the way it is. So the sixth day, pretty much the same thing that we talked about before. The main emphasis of the sermon today is we're going to look at the next and the last part of creation. And then we're going to look back at how they compare to animals. Because again, the world around us says, hey, you're just involved. Yeah, you're involved, all right. Evolved some kind of primate. You're just a primate. The Bible says, no, no, a thousand times no. In every way, you are not related to some other primate. You are unique and distinct creation of God. Men and animals are very different. For example, let's just look at mankind. They were created directly and distinctly by God. By the way, something else. We just mentioned that... Swarms of fish were created, and all different kinds of them. Think about man. One was created. One. And only from that one was the second female, Eve, created. Very different than the animals. And so that part of creation is very different than the animals. It's not like God created a whole nation of people or a whole tribe or a clan or anything like that. He created one, Adam. And what does he say about Adam? He was in God's image and God's likeness. We're going to come to another slide and we're going to break those down and see what it says. We also have flesh. We have a mortal body. One of those things that we're going to see is, and it shouldn't surprise us, that men and animals have some things that look the same and function the same, like eyes and hearts and lungs and limbs and those types of things. We're created by the same God. And we have to live and function in the same world that requires those kinds of things. God is a very wise designer. He is the wise designer. He is the creator. So it shouldn't surprise me that some of the things look like they overlap, and maybe that is evolution. The answer is no. It's simply a wise creator, a wise designer who created us and also created the animals. The interesting thing is that we both come from the dust of the earth. Animals, plants, they relate to the earth. They came from the earth. 
Guess what? Man also, Genesis chapter 2 verse 7, was created from the dust of the earth. Now some other things happened, and one of those is that God breathed in him the breath of life, and man became a living soul, a living being. Very different than what he says about the animals. The point is, and I'm going to give you a question, you answer this in your own head, don't answer it out loud. Do animals have a soul and a spirit? Do animals have a soul and a spirit? Answer that for yourself. We'll come back to the answer in a moment. By the way, some of you will probably go out of here puzzled when we answer that. But nonetheless. But you'll notice there's a key word there. It says, we have an immortal soul and spirit. Man alone was created responsible to God. He alone is the one that needs to answer to God for his actions. Animals are never charged with that. God alone, um, God alone made man his agent on earth. Steward, governor, ruler, whatever word you want to put in there doesn't matter. It all comes out the same concept. God told man that he is created to rule and subdue the earth. And then it also says that they are to reproduce and fill the earth. A whole lot different than the swarms of animals and abundance of plants that God created. But from one human being came a second human being taken from the first. And they alone, two of them, populated the whole world. Now, when you talk about reproduce and fill the world, uh, they have a lot to do. The animals don't have so much to do. They got a running start on that. Not man. And so there are some very distinct differences. Let's start with something that is never said of an animal. And that is that God created man in his own image. If you look at verse 26 of Genesis chapter 1, then God said, let us make man in our image. There are those that would say the two words that we're going to look at here, image and likeness are synonyms. That image is the first one God gave, and likeness just kind of tweaks that a little bit and adds to it. Uh, I would agree to some extent they're right, but they are two different words, and they are used differently, and the context seems to indicate that they are unique words and unique concepts that do have overlap. But... The image of God is this, and I I put the the phrasing in there, but not limited to, because this is not a theology lesson on what the image of God is, but it's to give a basis of why God made man unique, why we are different than animals, why we are very different than the rest of creation. But the image of God says we have life, We have the ability to communicate and the ability to fellowship. Animals do not talk to God. They don't pray. You can teach your dog to put his paws together and put his head down. You can do that. Give them enough food, they'll do anything. I shouldn't say anything, but they'll do that. On the other hand, we voluntarily, purposefully talk to God. And God can communicate to us. Never in the Bible does it say that God is communicating and giving revelation to animals. doesn't work that way. We're in God's image. And fellowship. 
If you're here this morning, I hope you've come from a, for a number of reasons. But I hope on top of that list, and I agree with what Mike said earlier about the praise team, you know, leading us in that direction. And Joe and, and uh, Bill, all of a sudden I lost his name. Bill, you know, telling us, hey, look what you got forward, look, to look forward to. We can fly away if we've trusted Christ. But we have the ability to worship God. Animals don't do that. But you do. You have a responsibility in that direction. You can praise Him, thank Him. You can express your hard attitude to Him. And you can converse with God and fellowship with Him. Have a great time together. I'm telling you, if you have never experienced, and I'm not talking about some spooky kind of things, but just knowing that you are fellowshipping, walking with God, you have that ability. Animals don't. So we have the image of God. But then we have personality. By the way, we all have different personalities. My wife and I are different. My kids are sitting over here. They have different personalities. Uh, That is also true. But that's not what I'm talking about at the moment. It's one part of it. But But we are personal beings. What is a personal being? By the way, the last point is there are only three kinds of personal beings in the universe. God, angels, and man. We are created personal beings. What is a personal being? A personal being is a being, a creature, if you will, a soul, that has the ability of rational thought, logical thought, abstract thought. They can think something through ahead of time. They can put an equation down. They can do a scientific experiment. They can do all those kinds of things. The ability to think and to reason and respond. That's the first part. God can do that. Angels have done that. And we can do that. The second part is that we have emotions. And a lot of times we just stop with emotions. Emotions can be angry or sad or, you know, any of those types of things. But the whole concept that makes a personal being is a little more than simply one word emotions. It has to do with sensibility. We sense things. We have feelings towards something. And we also have desires that that are a part of what we want to be. We set goals in those types of things. We That's what makes us personal beings. And then the last one is we have a will. Animals have instinct, no doubt about it. Animals can be trained, no doubt about that. And they can do some pretty phenomenal things. I'm not telling you they can't. But they don't have a will in the sense that a personal being does. See, even when you have a will, it doesn't necessarily mean that it gets carried out. But you have the desire, the ability, the capability, and you're working on carrying it out. Ultimately, you would like to carry it out. We have a will. Even God has a will. For example, it says in 1 Peter chapter 3, it says, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's will is that all people would come to Jesus Christ. That's why we have no problem making a big deal about our missionaries. Jim in Nigeria the Brocks to, to Japan, the Bucklers in Papua New Guinea, go on and on and on of those that we support. Why? Because we know what God's will is. God's desire 
is that people would come to Christ. And they're not going to hear if they don't have someone sent to teach them and to evangelize them. But even God's will. He doesn't force people to trust Him. So His will is that all would be saved. None should perish. But all should have eternal life. He, he, that's His will. And He's made provision for all. But He doesn't force people to do it. But that's His will. That's His desire. And we are personal beings. We are also human beings in that we have a body of flesh. That makes us different than angels and different than God. Just remember, Jesus Christ, perfect spirit, pure spirit, God, added to Him, His deity, a human nature and a human body to come and relate to us. And so we start in that direction. And then we're in God's likeness. And here's where I believe the difference is. And you can see it in the actual um, context of where it's written. It says, and according to our likeness, this is God speaking. First of all, what does it mean? And it says immediately after, and let them rule. To have dominion. To subdue the world around them. The animals in particular. So... I believe in God's likeness. God is an eternal king. He's an eternal ruler. And man, in God's likeness, does that. Along with the image, is also one who is God's agent on earth to rule and subdue the earth. We are also, as I said, human beings because we have a human body, a body of flesh that goes with that. Just like the animals came from the earth. Remember I said we came from the dust also. We have a human body that relates to this world. Think about it. Your human body needs are water and food and air and those kinds of things. That very much relates only to this atmosphere. Only to this earth. From what we can tell in all the rest of the universe. You don't need those kinds of things in heaven, but here we do. And so we're a personal being, but we're also a human being with an immortal soul and spirit, which comes from God. And as I mentioned before, we are responsible to God. One of the things that we need to see is that men and angels are different. I've already insinuated that. We're in God's image. They are simply a part of creation. We are made to rule the earth. Animals are to be under us. We're both formed from the dust of the earth, so that does make us alike in that direction. We have the breath of life, and in their cases, uh, until it defines it, they simply said, God just simply let the earth bring forth. Our soul goes to God. Their soul does not go to God. We are an agent of God. They are for man's use. You see, we're not talking just an evolved animal. We're talking something very specific. God absolutely was created us in His image to worship Him. In His likeness to rule the earth. From the dust to relate to the earth, the breath of life from God, which was special. I already mentioned that a number of different ways. We are to reproduce. Any thinking about man that is short of that is not of God. Let me tell you, most of what you hear other than 
you're reading the Bible or hearing it from someone who believes what the Bible says is coming short of what God has recorded for us, what he has revealed to us for us to know for our lives. So let's go back, and I'm just, I've only got a few minutes here, but let's go back, and I'm just going to go real quick. If you want these notes, I'll just email me. I'll send them to you. You can have the whole shebang, but I'm going to cut them short. But first of all, we, what about animals? Are they the same, different uh, than man? We are to absolutely respect animals as a part of creation. We are God's stewards, governor on this earth. And so we do have a stewardship, but they are never given the same dignity, same status as man. Never to be worshipped. Neither is man to be worshipped. God alone is to be worshipped. We're part of the creation. We are above animals. We are also the same as we are similar because we come from the ground. In fact, is it says the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground. And in Genesis chapter 2 verse 19 where he gives us additional details of the creation. He says, and out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky, etc. So in other words, there should be some similarities. Don't let that confuse you. Even when God made a contract, a covenant with Noah after the flood, he not only made it with Noah and his family, but he made it with all the animals that indeed he would not cut them off again by water. And so God does give some status to animals, not the same as man. I don't know if you ever noticed it, but the fourth commandment in the Ten Commandments also talks about animals. Man is to have a day of rest, the Sabbath. But also, his animals are to rest in that day. God does indeed look out for animals. He also provides for them. Let me tell you, he says in Matthew chapter 6, I provide for the sparrows. They don't, they don't have barns and they don't do harvest, but I supply for them. And if you have an animal and you have it caged up or you have it penned up, you better provide for them because you need to be God's governor, God's steward on the earth. What I'm going to tell you next is from Proverbs. Very practical. Here's what it says. I grew up on a farm, by the way, and I know one thing. If you don't take care of your animals, you're not going to be a farmer. Because they're going to die, or you'll never make a profit, and you're going to not be a farmer anymore. But here's what Proverbs chapter 12, verse 10 says. A righteous man has regard for the life of his beast, but the companion of the wicked is cruel. There's absolutely no place in this world for cruelty to animals. There's no problem with shooting them, butchering them, and eating them. No problem with that. But cruelty to animals? Absolutely no place for it. God holds us. He says, you know, a righteous man. It not only deals with our relationship with God and other people, but a righteous person, it's their relationship with the creation around them. They're right and meet God's standards in all levels. Again, not equal with man. I left you with a question, and I'm out of time, but I have to answer it or you'll go home mad at me. Do animals have a soul? The answer is, and I'm cutting through. If you want the notes, just ask me. I'll give them to you. But uh, animals indeed do have a soul and a spirit. But there's a huge difference. And you heard me say the word several times already. They have animation. They have an awareness. Your dog knows when, he call, when you call his name. They know that when they hear the feed bag rattle, they're going to come running for food. They're aware of what's going on. They're alive. 
They indeed uh, can interact. And they also have a spirit. But here's what Ecclesiastes, and you have to be real careful about Ecclesiastes. But Ecclesiastes says in chapter 3, and you can go look this up later. It just simply says, from a human worldly point of view, animals die, men die, they all die. You put, put them in the ground someplace and we don't see where the rest of them goes. It says, how do we know the, the spirit or the soul of an animal goes to the earth and our spirit soul goes to God? You don't know that from a secular viewpoint. You only know that because God has revealed that to us. And our spirit definitely does go back to God who gave it to us. In fact, is the one part about the spirit of man, and I'm just going to concentrate on that just for a moment. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting at verse 42, it's make it very clear we have a perishable body. A mortal body that can die. And we absolutely do. It's sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It's sown a natural or soulish body, but it's raised a spiritual body. There's a natural body and then a spiritual body. doesn't mean the resurrection is spiritual. simply means this. In this world, you all could write a paragraph of what Pastor Paul is like. You describe my actions, how I look, uh, how I sound. You could do all kinds of things. What I like, what I dislike, you know, what my relationship with various people is. You could do That's soulish. That's my personality and who I am from the inside. That's the body I live in now. There is a portion that the Spirit connects with God. But in the resurrection, the glorified body, the soul is not the primary anymore. It's now the spirit. It's a change. And the glorified body, it's, one of, it's not the only thing different about glorified bodies, but it's the control of the body. This is the spirit, my personality. I, I don't sit up here and try to pretend. I don't even think about what I'm going to do when I'm standing up here. I'm just who I am. I hope what you see is what you get, and I hope you get something good out of it. That's all I can tell you. But you know what? That's what's controlling this body. Even those dumb motions I make. You know, it it just does that. But in the resurrection body, it's now controlled by the Spirit. It's very different. One's from the world, and one is focused on God and our relationship with God. Do we have that now? Yes, somewhat. But the big one is still our personality. That part that makes it, that is a human being, our conscience, and everything else that goes with that. So, indeed, animals have a soul and spirit. Two big differences. Animals are not in the image and likeness of God, and their soul and their spirit are not immortal. Only ours are. Nowhere in the Bible does it say man's soul or spirit goes out of existence. It continues on. Animals, it's done. They, they breathe their last. They're done. It's over. Not us. Truth of the matter is, folks, we have a responsibility. Responsibility is to take care of the earth around us. Not environmental wacko, because living is dirty business. On the other hand, we have no excuses for being slobs with this that God has entrusted to us. We're to use it wisely as good stewards of what God has given us. By the way... If we have a responsibility to this creation, think about this. Do I have a responsibility for those billions of people 
whether they're in Japan or Nigeria or wherever they are. Do I have a responsibility? Do I have a stewardship with them? You better believe it. It's in the Old Testament, but clearly spelled out in the New Testament. Our goal as a Christian is to take the gospel to the ends of the world, to every creature, so they too can know the Savior we know. That's the challenge. You didn't expect missions from Genesis chapter 1, did you? But the truth of the matter is, we're responsible people. Let's all stand together as we pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you instruct us of the direction you want us to go. Lord, we absolutely need to answer to you for what we do with our own lives, but also what we do with the things that we call nature around us, the animals and our planet. We need to answer, but most of all, Lord, we answer for those other fellow human beings who need to know Christ. Lord, I pray that we would not be silent, that we would not be poor stewards of what you've entrusted to us, what you've put before us, but that with what, everything we are, that we would reach out in your name for their good and for their eternity. We thank you through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. God bless. Go with God.